Welcome to Seed Phrase, a podcast speaking with people close to art, blockchains, or both. I'm Simon Denny, an artist who unpacks stories about technologies. For each episode, I ask a guest to choose 12 words, their personal seed phrase, which gets minted as an NFT. Like the key to a crypto wallet, the seed phrase unlocks our conversation. For this episode, I spoke with Paul Colling and Paul Zeidler, two of the founders of TerraZero, an art collective that has been exploring blockchain's potential to open up new forms of economic participation beyond the human. Their 2016 white paper essentially asked, could blockchain be used to create a self-owning forest? Could it make non-human entities into actors in economic networks? Ever since then, they've test-driven these propositions through art projects that experiment with accruing and administering capital in unconventional ways. In this conversation, they describe their work attempting to hack the link between personhood and ownership. We chat about crafting narratives, exhibiting code-based art in non-boring ways, and the strangely useful opportunism of NFT archaeologists. They also describe the founding of the Lobby for Tree Personhood and other legal formatting adventures that come up in implementing the TerraZero mission. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, my name is Paul Seidler. I'm an artist and researcher. I'm mostly interested in um, yeah, programming as a practice. I'm interested in smart contracts as a medium. And yeah, I founded TerraZero with uh, Paul Colling in 2016. Yeah, hi. I am Paul Colling. I'm also an artist slash researcher. Um, I think both of our artistic practice kind of or... Uh, originated around the time where we also or coincided with like the foundation of Terra Zero. Back then, it was actually uh, an art school project which we thought would go over the course of one semester, <laughs> and um, then quickly evolved into something bigger. And in the very early early stages, we rewrote part of our concept together with Max Hampshire, and then it has been for a very long time always us three as like the the core group of of the collective but also heavily relying on collaborations with other people other artists researchers designers and so we kind of also used this as like a a group which kind of hides behind like this uh, single term mm. um to to not have to define who's always in and who's out and who's mm. participating in what way. So it can be more fluid in that way as as the as the situation goes on. Is, does that include your non-human collaborators as well, <laughs> being being uh, in and out of TerraZero? That's a good question. I mean, there are some projects where you have like specific, like defined sort of like ecological entities in there. Like, mm. for example, in like Premnodemon, we had this like bonsai, which was really almost like a defined like really almost like discrete entity hmm. um, and this bonsai died uh, apparently so that, that was really sad so it, yeah I think there is something about that, that there is a certain notion of collectivity in the sense but I, I don't think it's like the same kind of agency as like normal members obviously but hmm. I do think there is some sort of like collectivity hmm. but especially if you're like a um not really well-funded, small um, art collective. It can also be um, a tool which you can use to hide or like to obscure your practice a little bit and leave it up in the open. Like if you're like a huge group of researchers or only a couple of people. Right. And also in terms of like the actual, I mean, like we, we've played with this actually also in many different ways, also in like the actual forest where, mm. where there's still different information out there 
where it is and if it's out there. There, there is this meme chart, which is kind of like art project, and then it becomes like a psyop, and then it becomes a state-funded project, and then it becomes like a something else, like a corporation or something. And I think that's kind of pretty. That, that's a meme about Terra Zero, essentially, about like the <laughs> kind of changing identity of like um, an art project, which doesn't actually like for a long time didn't know like where it is like situated, maybe. Yeah, I mean that's that's something that I think is really interesting. Some some artists use kind of pseudonyms for, you know, different reasons and uh, some for anonymity, some to look kind of more important than they are, some to actually uh, look less important than some of the actors in the collective is. It's a very interesting foil and also in relation to like identity on the internet, I guess it's kind of an interesting thing, right? Nobody knows if you're a dog type <laughs> scenario also works for these types of um, foundations. But again, like maybe before we go into detail about both your kind of seed phrase words and rather some of the themes that we'll touch on in this conversation, I wanted also to to talk about the beginning of Terra Zero, maybe come to, you mentioned it's uh, it's something that happened in the context of a studying environment, but then kind of grew beyond that. But I'd be super interested to know like what the initial conversation was, um, where the name kind of came from and how that came to be adopted and um, adapted. And also maybe then talk a little bit about what came in the initial white paper, because uh, that's one of the things that I think is really interesting about this project as an artwork. Um, it sort of started in a way which I know more from crypto projects proper, where there's a where actually the project started with a theoretical white paper, right? And where I first came across white papers is from an artist's perspective was when I was trying to understand what um, ICOs or initial coin offerings were uh, in a previous boom period of crypto. And then I realized, um, yeah, also, of course, uh, Bitcoin started with a white paper. So so to crypto, it's a very native form. To artworks, it's maybe not such a native form. And um, yeah, so just a little more detail about that first moment and then maybe a bit more about the white paper itself. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny to to think of the white paper as an artistic medium and what, what, what would this actually what would this actually mean? Is this like a conceptual piece? But yeah, maybe on this later, um, I, I think we have like different sort of like perspectives how we approach Terra Zero or how we approach like the beginning of Terra Zero. Mm. Uh, I came more from being interested in sort of the technology of smart contracts as they were sort of described and uh, implemented in 2015 with the beginning of Ethereum. And at this time, we or I was looking or we were looking a lot into the ideas of DAOs and autonomous agents as sort of um, organizational structures, which could emerge on this computational substrate, you could say. And we didn't like completely knew what to do with this technology because it feels like really sort of exploitative in a sense when you think about, okay, you have this autonomous agent which is like a fleet of cars right and like basically like uber on a blockchain these kind of things yeah um internet of things type yeah yeah internet of type yeah. type of things but mixed yeah. with like this ultra libertarian idea of like everything which gains capital is sort of good or like a valid sort of um object or like notion mm. um so we looked a little bit or into this history and I think we're interested in shifting this narrative a little bit and thinking of if we have this transparent and computational processes which can administer capital, how could they be used for something more maybe interesting 
in forms of not just accumulating capital, but also think of how these processes then can be used for, for example, nature preservation or mm-hmm. um, kind of administer property in a kind of more sane sense yeah. or in, in a sense which is like not necessarily always tied to like... Um, um, Optimizing the interests oh, yeah. of those funding yeah. capital-intensive projects. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember actually like also having this discussion where we... Um, or where we talked about this topic and then were on the lookout or like trying to find a suitable example. Mm. And so, it, I mean, we, we had like this side discussion about like this whole discourse about nature versus culture and how like these, the separation of these two things probably doesn't really make sense nowadays anymore. Uh, but I remember also having like this discussion of like implementing this in some sort of system, some sort of like ecosystem. But um, it was kind of like also like a, a close match between doing actually like a crop of fields mm. uh, or actually a forest and then also deciding on this in the very first moment more on like a, how can you create like a narrative which draws the attention to a project because right. like the best project, even if it's like conceptually really interesting, if people are not interested in it or get not the, the traction of it, then I mean, like, it's not worth when it's not discussed. So um, this was also like a an aspect where we designed from like a some sort of narrative um, uh, perspective. Yeah. yeah. Also, maybe just to add like one one more comment on this, we also looked at the um, idea what how identity is kind of configured on the blockchain in sort of mm. a pre-configured way, and this ha- this is mostly through addresses, right? And right. they're like pseudo-anonymous, so they're like it's not pretty sure or it's not pretty clear like what is behind them. Right. Like it's essentially some sort of like okay, there has to be like a computer which like kind of has right. some sort of like or can administer this address, but it's not that clear what is like driving this. So for for us, this was also something, and we use now this term of sort of like the ontology of personhood, where like the ontology of personhood gets kind of like disrupted a little bit hmm. in a sense that um, you don't know if like, it's basically the on the internet, no one knows you're like a dog. But it's and, the next stage it's kind of like But it's kind of like an economic, an o- yeah. economic perspective towards this. It's like, right. okay, uh, on the blockchain, like no one knows you're like a tree. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> but that's like just to kind of consolidate that thought a bit, I think that's quite an interesting starting point and it sounds like it informed where Terra Zero then moved towards becoming. Uh, this idea that every wallet address is on this network, on the blockchain, right? Each each node, each participant, let's say, in, in a blockchain-related network is an economic actor and an address by definition, right? It's a yeah. wallet address and therefore an economic actor. And that's uh, slightly different from a pre-blockchain internet, right? Where, you know, a node can be lots of different type of actors, a social actor, or, you know, an email address, whatever, yeah. um, an, IP, you know, an IP address. Um, and that's, yeah, I, I don't know, that's already something quite interesting. So you guys started with this assumption, you, you realized that was the case with this emergent, property internet, right, suggested by Ethereum uh, around that time, because it's also quite a long time ago now, and and pre to, I think, a lot of people's understanding of where blockchain art began. It's also not really thinking in terms of NFTs uh, in any way, right? It's thinking about this what this network was. And then from there, thinking who was included in this conversation by that definition of that network, right? That's sort of what it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's also about, like, the, like, how before that ownership was always linked to like natural or legal person and some 
like this new technology kind of brought or opened up like this vast legal gray area, which is like now slowly <laughs> getting slowly defined, um, uh, where, where ownership is not necessarily linked to something um, yeah, recognized as a natural or legal entity. Yeah. So, yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, again, just from my own perspective now, so many years later, uh, being an artist who issues NFTs mm -hmm. as assets, you always have this problem where you don't know who you're sending the receipt to when you get a payment yep. from an address. And this is a very concrete economic and legal outcome of this design, right? Yep. Uh, that like uh, my accountant and potentially the finance amp has a problem because mm -hmm. XYZ address doesn't equal a legal address for an entity uh, in order to do a legal payment. Um, so this is, again, one of those moments where it sounds like you guys were already sensing back in 2015 and 16 when you started formulating this that there is this big gap between this technical design that just functions in its own network and who is included and how they're included, right? Is that is that fair? To yeah, yeah no. but but also from like a maybe, I don't know, semi-correct reading of like law his or like European law or Western law history where we researched how personhood comes about and where right. how and found out that like personhood is like historically always linked to the ability to own so like this mm. this ownership was not was for us in this in this phase more than actually having access or like full rights on like a specific object but mm. also with like the social and historical context which comes with this ability so that's, that's so interesting and I'm again just relating to the setup that we've made for this uh, podcast Personhood has already come up a couple times and is one of our one of your seed phrase words. Um, just to note that, and I guess it's already interrelated with who comes into contact with uh, personhood and who and what doesn't, right? Um, and and maybe this is the time when it would be good to define, I guess, what happened again in this really first iteration of Terra Zero. I'm aware that you guys basically made a white paper in 2016 that then said, okay, we want to set up a network that can include a forest, right? And that was sort of the first spark of a, of a formation of it. Can you, can you expand on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always very hard to, to talk about like this project just because we've been like continue to work on this for so many years. So it's always hard to get to, to basics, get, yeah. yeah, to the, to the <laughs> starting point. Maybe can you? I mean, what I think would be really helpful for a listener in this stage is to really say what the initial iteration oh, yeah. of um, of Terrazero was vis-a-vis -vis the basic setup, right? And, and what I understand that basic setup to be is like using the blockchain to allow non-human actors, for example, a forest, right, to become legal actors in an economic network, and maybe in more layman's terms, basically allowing a forest to own its own self right and that was sort of the initial as far as i understand it goal of the of the 2016 white paper the kind of theoretical parameters for how you met these series of uh, interesting emergent phenomena on the blockchain with your interest in who was able to be of personhood and who was not right that's yeah i think that's a good uh, kind of summary definitely uh, we, we were pretty much interested also in the question of how sort of these economic processes can essentially uh, administer capital hmm. um, and also uh, like gain capital or accumulate capital and then sort of uh, like have um, yeah, smart contracts or some sort of like automated processes sort of um, deciding what to do with this. And this is almost like a um, idea of, I think the best sort of, of the first Terra Zero white paper, the best sort of um, summary would be like, if you think of like a self-driving car, 
Um, and the self-driving car has like a wallet attached, and it can have it has can provide services and can get paid and can uh, intelligently find like jobs. But now it's not a car, but it's a forest. Right. <laughs> that's sort of right. That's sort of like the the the, the main idea of like the first Terra Zero white paper, I would say. Yeah. Basically, automating what happens in traditional forestry, um, and then creating this hybrid entity out of like a technological stack of representation. Uh, through like a smart contract and like an economic and legal term and then um, using this automation to accumulate capital as you would do in forestry uh, in um, selling licenses to lock down trees and then uh, using this accumulated capital to basically refinance the previous um, acquisition of the of the piece of land. Exactly. And this uses all already a kind of like semiotic trick in a sense, right? That we're saying, okay, like the forest is owning sort of itself, which is true to a certain degree, but it also depends like what your definition of the forest is at this point. Right. So when, when we talk about this, it's clear for us that this is always sort of at this point a mixture between like a property, like a natural entity but also like a sort of like hyperstructure or some sort of structure which is around this which is like a programmable structure and like a sort of electronic infrastructure which is like around this so if we talk about like the forest is owning itself we, we talk about more some sort of like <laughs> cyborg entity is sort of like owning itself rather than like the sort of what we would cle clean defined as like the forest right so right. It, it's almost like a structure in at this point, which is not just the pure forest itself, but like something which is around this forest as well. Yeah, and I mean, maybe that's worth bringing up because when you talk about this, obviously, it um, the assumption is we're speaking about a forest as a factory, sort of, right? Like we're speaking about a um, uh, a forest which is which is grown by humans for the purpose of providing wood as a resource. Like it's a forestry factory that happens to also be a, a forest of trees, right? This is a, an interesting crossover as well. So there's, a, there's already a kind of property formation and a homogenization process and all these things that go on when you industrially produce something like wood, um, which I think is also, yeah, like really interesting because that is the actor that can enter this economic, <laughs> even the, you know, yeah. the, the kind of closest non-human actor is actually this sort of uh, formation already, right? It's already a, 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 a structure that is not exactly natural, quote unquote, right? Even though there's these, um, yeah, lives, let's say, non-human lives involved in, in making up this community or population of non-human actors. Uh, Yeah, and I mean, it was really uh, interesting, like when we presented it, I think like one of our first public um, talks about it, this was at Transmediale in 2016 or so. And it was really like a mixed response, which we got. It was like they were on the one side where people were like really um, uh, fascinated by this and thought like, oh, also like saw way too much in it like start like oh this is like the way how to how to save the world and like on the, the other side of the audience was um completely like shocked and <laughs> anthropomorphized like the the trees and talked about something like self-harm in the context because we would for like right. enforce like chopping down like the trees to chop down their own wood and <laughs> um i don't know like this was really interesting because we Of course, you can joke about this, but you also can understand why people respond sure. to it, like on an emotional level. And I think, like, it encapsulates um, all these different uh, problematic, like, ways to see, like, the world. Um, yeah. And I don't know. So it was. 
I mean, maybe that's something where I also think that um, this is where it becomes uh, very visible that it's an artwork for me, but that, that as me as an art viewer, mm. as somebody who who's comes to this as a fan of art who, and whose kind of first domain space is art. Um, you know, I love artworks that do something that allow us to see more things than we usually see and sort of have a moment of being moved, right, by 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 suddenly coming to another understanding of either perception or whatever. I mean, this is a very, you know, broad definition for what art experience can be. But like, and this is what I think is really great by this. It's like a proposition that makes you think about all these things that actually otherwise you don't think about. So actually that response and the fact the desire, the divided response, let's say, some people thinking about the, the feelings and and kind of as you say anthropomorphized like ideas of understanding of how each individual actor of this life in this community of trees that suddenly became uh, this this legal entity would feel participating in and killing themselves and then reaping the financial rewards back to their kind of hyperstructure <laughs> from killing their own uh, individual entities you can see how that um, I mean we live in Germany there's uh, industrial forests everywhere right mm -hmm. so it's this is actually kind of a, 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 a long accepted practice right this is like a really interesting fact right yeah. like, people like specifically also in germany have this like idea of a purely natural forest and they go into the forest and they're like in nature but in theory like this is the theory but in practice everything is monoculture like there's barely any like ecology anymore like there were like big reforms in like the 1920s to 1940s where like more than 70% of the like forests were like beca became monocultures became essentially like I think pine wood is the yeah and spruce but I mean it, even like, if it's like not monoculture it's like a cultural land it's like it's planted it's, it's pretty produced, replanted yeah. it's like yeah and so yeah that's I think that's always like very important to stress over and over again but I mean speaking of like this being perceived as an artwork is quite interesting because and also like using maybe now going back like using uh, white paper as the medium because I think if you would have the chance we would have always like realized it as like a real system on like a large scale but of course if you're like an art student you don't have the financial ability to acquire like a huge piece of forest or the and, network capital to yeah. to show it right in a way yeah. and and so like you know like then i think and therefore therefore i think like using white paper as like a very cost <laughs> efficient uh, way to transport an idea is quite was quite effective and then also you know like using like the art word as like a, a safe space to test out these ideas is also very very giving but there was also like this time where we had like very um, intense discussions over like one and a half years if we should transform this actually into um, a startup or like a company. Right. And there were like offers also on the table and we were like in contact with like venture capital and um, thought this could also, be, if this like could potentially be like the way to realize this, like mm. then it would be like a product and like what does it mean if you like shift something like this from it being perceived as an artwork and into like the commercial world and if then it exists as like a commercially applied system maybe can if it stands they can be perceived as artwork so i think like these mm. discussions were very much involved into uh, in in this in these semi early early years of Terzio. Yeah, and again, I think this is where it crosses over with my own interest, right? Because my artwork uh, looks at the culture that uh, I guess business practices produ produce, like uh, particularly in in dialogue with uh, quote unquote technology. Mm. Um, and this is where I find it also interesting as an artwork. And if you moved it out of that space 
of being an artwork and acting as an artwork, I guess you would think about different things in terms of optimizing the project as well. And it might, you know, that quality that I was speaking about before, that it sort of as a proposition moves you because it turns all these I guess senses up mm. in a way uh, that might change if it if it went into uh, optimizing purely for uh, the economic outcome mm. or how it could fit into the already existing uh, commercial systems, so it would make sense as a business, mm. right? Uh, and so I think this is the special thing. I think sometimes viewers get confused when they see something looks like this. It's a it it has a white paper. It's you know why is it even an artwork? I think I think it's a really interesting mm. thing to say. Well, it needs to remain in this space of being an artwork. Otherwise, it's optimizing for something else. You know. I mean, yep. yeah, I think for me, like one of the biggest advantages of it being an artwork is that it can fail and maybe even become greater <laughs> by failing and like as you um, I mean you can talk to companies who fail <laughs> and like <laughs> how they suddenly turn out, out to be like good artworks but maybe bad companies yeah um, yeah. yeah this is some, sometimes I think that's my work is kind of finding uh, failed companies that are better artworks than companies <laughs> you know it's sort of redefining what the what their contribution should be seen as you know yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah I mean I don't know again to, to kind of move back into um our list of, uh, of, of, of seed phrases. So capitals come up, forest has come up. I mean, I think uh, you've written in the past about favoring a materialist reading of tokens as always engaged with their site and event of production. Um, what are some artworks by yourself or others that kind of do this? Is that worth touching on as a moment? Maybe another way to say that is what informed uh, your artwork formation of this and other substantiations of, of, of Tierra Zero. So we've we've got the white paper now. Maybe also you can move into uh, describing some of the some of the projects that the white paper actually turned into. I guess we had a intimate uh, interaction over one of those, Prem Nademan, um, because a show that I initiated at the Schinkel Pavilion in Berlin uh, was, the, I think, the first outing for Prem Nademan, right? Yeah. Uh, which was one of the, well, yeah, one of two things you did, I think, in 2018, right? Yeah. Uh, that was sort of a, a concrete moving from the white paper as a proposition format, as conceptual artwork, let's say, to like a sculptural, technological exploration. Um, uh, maybe we can think about that and, and also what informed your decisions along those way. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about sort of like materialistic reading of tokens, um, we always try to um, emphasize that there is or there are like processes which inform either the data of the tokens, but also like the contracts itself. So like, even if you think of like digital illustrations or something like this, someone like drew these on like, I don't know, the iPad and things like this. So there, there are these like labor processes which are like involved in this production of art pieces. Um, and specifically with Terra Zero, we are like interested in the combination of some sort of physical sphere and let's say like token systems or economic systems. And uh, having a bridge there between these two things, so thinking of how data can inform, um, how like real life data can sort of inform token dynamics and like speculations on things was always like interesting for us, I think. Yeah, or, or to put it like more generally, that, that like every production happens in some sort of context, being it physically or digitally. And we, I think like this, I think we we both are a little bored when it come, suddenly becomes like to digital art where people <laughs> pretend like it, it happens like in, I don't know, like in a vacuum somewhere. Mm. Um, the because, virtual world. Yeah, because it becomes like intangible. And I think like it's all about, it's, you know, if you if you produce like a sculpture, a physical sculpture, then like it originated in like a, in a very specific context and a space. And it's the same goes also for code, I would say. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. I think also what is interesting in smart contracts specifically is that they are to a certain degree also like software art, which is really like mm -hmm. connected to the, the actual act of writing mm -hmm. uh, way more than, um, for example, sometimes like visual art in a sense. Right. Yeah. Can you describe the process of making Primnademon, like uh, how you made those concrete decisions from ex exactly what you're saying, like a kind of concrete environment, moving this idea into mm -hmm. some sort of form uh, that, that would make sense? I think... To understand Premium Demon, but also what came in the same time, Flower Tokens, but also like other projects we did afterwards, um, is to understand that we always produce them or develop them with actually like in a time where we would have loved to develop like the Terra Zero land art project. <laughs> but because of like, and I think retrospectively it was probably good um, there was like this but like because of like economic constraints or not being able to have like or like having to produce something which fits for example in an exhibition mm. um, we decided that we can split up the whole concept and like our all like the findings through our whole, our whole like discussions around this project into various different aspects or like uh, key questions mm. and then do like a, a work which only addresses like one of them or like a couple of them and I think I mean like Premier Demon can be read from like very different angles I think um, to describe it it's it was a, a living plant which stood in a contractual relationship to um, to an exhibition space the um, the Schinkel Pavilion and um, of course, with living beings, especially plants, you have to water them, you have to take care of them, you, they have to get some light to, to survive. And we um, set up like this contract that the exhibition space would take care of this only if they would get paid. Mm. And um, to to enable this, this little tree, this bonsai tree, um, to pay for the services it needs, we set up an infrastructure where people could donate um, ease to the tree and the tree would then use on the basis of some sensor readings um, decide like how to spend their money basically and um, transact to the exhibition space and the exhibition space would fulfill the services and I mean like, this can be read as like this I don't know like real like this public uh, experiment because there's like a publicly facing online interface but also like you can you can go to the exhibition and see how the tree looks and, you know, like to include like the audience and uh, put them in charge of like the well-being of like a living entity. Uh, but it's also about like this hyper-financialization of like um, services and ecosystem right. ecosystems. And I think we were, we read like this um, great book by Frederick Wester, a German ecologist, um, um, I think he's also the author of like this Ecolopoli Eco or like this Monopoly. Oh, of, like, that's eco. such a great game. Yeah, I own that. Yeah. Oh. Um, and he wrote a book called um, The Value of a Blue Throat, where he went through like... Not about <laughs> Avatar. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, literally went through like the um, how much like this little bird is worth. And he calculated from like the... I don't know, like the calcium in the bones to like the feathers and then the wow. recreational value of like um, workers hearing like the, the singing bird and then maybe having like more more energy to, to perform their task at, at their job and did like this crazy calculation and then ended up with like, it was, I don't know, like something like 280 
three Deutsche Mark or something per per and bird. Per yeah, bird, right. and this was like highly meant prov provocative, of course. Of yeah. course, and was like this eighties ecologist um, vibe. But I think this kind of yeah, it struck us in a way to to visualize like these these underlying structures. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean that's one of the. I mean, bigger questions you hear when people, you know, very uh, blue sky speculate about the future and how to kind of design for the future, right, is what it, what is included in economies and what is not included in economies. And what the, I think there's a technical term for that, which I'm now forgetting, of like uh, things that are externalities, economic mm. externalities, right, where, some, you know, you make a calculation on what, for example, nature costs to use as a resource. And then um, when you use that, um, often the thing is assumed that nature is free. Actually, this is where I think uh, the title of Terra Zero is really resonant for that, this assumption of Terra Nullius uh, as, as a space that you just get. Um, and this is, again, that, uh, what, what I think is really amazing about the, the way that the work behaves as, as, as artworks, uh, because it, it hints on this proposition, right? And so you, you do a little bit like what you're saying uh, this economist uh, did. You make a proposition that follows through the idea that um, everything can be measured and expressed in economic terms, and actually needs to be in order to be taken seriously uh, in a kind of design space, also for how humans uh, govern resources and the planet and life. Right, uh, and this is where I think it, it's. It, uh, when I remember seeing this. This artwork that you're mentioning for the first time, Premier Demon, in this very cute little bonsai. And a bonsai in itself, I thought, was already a very poetic choice because a bonsai tree obviously is something that has a high degree of dialogue with human constraints that are placed on that particular uh, object, right? It's not it's it's not a quote unquote naturally growing tree. It's something very restrained, and that in itself had a kind of a, a technical apparatus around it, which was also very visible. That, that sort of um, showed the sensor material, and then had a screen directly in front of it. So you were aware of this hybridized life in the space, which I thought was really amazing in terms of poetics. Uh, um, also in the in the realization of this, um, you know. Uh, so uh, I didn't actually see. Um, uh, you set up um, the other project that maybe is worth touching on at this point um, as well uh, in person, the flower token. And it, like a fool, I, I didn't speculatively buy one of the assets at the time you launched it. But um, maybe it's worth expanding into that other other experiment with uh, constraints and physical uh, ramifications that you did at Trust, I think. Uh, yes, another. yeah, that makes sense. I think um, this touches also on the, let's say, emergence of the ERC-721 standard, because right. interestingly, uh, we were always, like, even in the first um, project, uh, or, like, when we, like, speculated about, okay, how could a smart contract uh, administer a forest, we came to this notion pretty quickly that, Obviously, with an ERC-20, you can show um, some money-like structures, right? You can build... Maybe we should just define terms a little bit here as well. Okay. ERC-20, ERC-21. Oh, yeah. Um, so ERC-20 is essentially uh, one of the first token definitions on um, Ethereum, which was written for Ethereum. And it defines, like, essentially a software interface for something, for a token which has money-like structures, so which is essentially uh, fungible uh, to a certain degree and um, can be transacted um, basically freely. Right, so like Bitcoin, It's basically like a US dollar. Yeah, like Bitcoin, like the US dollar, basically really something which has monetary qualities, um, but is essentially not necessarily backed or essentially like the backing service or the questions where the quality of value or where the value is arriving from is not really pretty it's pretty much like not in the standard, which does make sense because it's <laughs> it's just like a software standard. Right. So um, 
Yeah, so so this is like an ERC twenty, and then ERC seven twenty one is um, basically the non fungible token, um, essentially the definition of an NFT as we know it today. So right. this is a token which has like a specific identity. So yeah. when you think of the um, fungible as it's basically just one gray mass, right? And you can take gray mass out of it and you put it in again. And it's all gray mass, but like it's no, it doesn't have like own identity. And with the ERC seven twenty one, it's more something like um, yeah, like art pieces or like even like coins which have different attributes or something like this. So it's it's a thing where you can digitally sort of separate um, every individual token from each other. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, not to, not to slow you down on that uh, other wider <laughs> explanation you were doing of flower tokens, but I just think it's worth doing because, it, it, I mean, just to frame that as well, you know, it's it's important that this, these both of these projects were happening as the non-fungible token or NFT as itself was sort of emerging as a yeah. as a thing, right? It was yeah. it was prior, definitely uh, by a long couple of years, um, to the boom of interest in the oh, art yeah. world and NFTs. But it was also just as those tokens were showing what they were really useful for. Like it wasn't even clear that it was going to be artwork that yeah, these yeah. were used for. Th- right? This is this is also like a really interesting point I can talk a long time about. But essentially, like the first ERC seven twenty one was not like specifically defined for artworks. Right. Like even if it's now like used mainly for artworks, it was like for for like a lot of other things. Like people thought about deeds. People thought about like uh, real world assets, which should have like some sort of contractual relationship in there for like yeah real world tokenization and things like this which all kind of like got blown away really quickly yeah. and uh, yeah it's kind of interesting that like this became basically the standard of how a piece of art is defined on the blockchain right but but at the time it was not it was still in flux but yeah. you chose to use the structure for um, for this other project which was at the same time as Premier Demon which was a series of flowers right like uh, that had a, a, a token uh, an ERC 721 attached to them somehow, yes. right? Yes, so it was, it was a um, structure like a um, rack. Is it rack? A grow rack. A yeah, grow like rack. Sh- yeah. Um, which had like 100 flowers in it and um, the flowers were uh, always um, filmed by a camera which would take like photos in like specific time intervals and then this data would um, be essentially put in the metadata of an ERC721 token. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Basically, like the core idea was to create, like, um, to or to experiment and to see how, like, a micro market or a market behaves, where the underlying asset undergoes like a constant change, which would mm-hmm. in this case be biological growth and then decay at one point. And so we tokenized these flowers again, kind of like played with like this this narrative quite quite a bit. And um, created also like a, a marketplace actually because there there were no <laughs> there yeah. were no infrastructure which we could have used uh, where people could acquire tokens of individual flowers and then had like a game or like a gamified mechanic um, so like every there were like royalties on like trading these flowers and these royalties or like a part of the royalties would go to like something which we called the blooming pool hmm. and every like the blooming pool would like every week like the um, a computer vision program would check which flower bloomed and like if you would be the holder of like a flower uh, which which is currently blooming in like the specific week you would get like the the money from the blooming pool so there was like this. 
So it's like a very simple way of uh, incentivizing actually like um, market dyna dynamics. Mm. Interestingly, it absolutely didn't work in a sense that, <laughs> but in a really weird sense that people didn't trade them that much. Um, but I don't think this had to do that much with the prices, but just because people didn't want to sell their ones. So mm. they had like really, they developed really. <laughs> they loved it too much. Yeah. They kind of developed, I think, sort of a weird like relationship. I think it's the same, like when you like buy a plant or something, right. you, mm. you get this like weird Oh, it's like got... owning a pet. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. Like... But I think also with like a hundred, a hundred is like a very, very um, small set of tokens, and um, this was also due to um, to um, the the physical, physical space yeah. not not, not um, um, enabling for more. But also, it plants. seems small now mm. because we know that there's sort of emerged weirdly yeah. like art standards yeah. for what a set of tokens yeah. number should be like 10,000 is is the right number of tokens for a PFP project or whatever. Mm. 500 is roughly the right amount for an art project, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. These things emerged over the last couple of years. But at that time, I could imagine not only the physical constraints when you were setting this thing yeah. up made it, you informed in this other way, but also like, yeah, how do you choose a number when, mm. no, when there's no when there's nobody else doing this, right? But also the price ranges. I mean, <laughs> full, full disclosure, we got like um, a private donation of like 3000 euros, which was quite a big sum of money and so to do we, this project to do no no just in general to to work on content. at the time yeah can you talk about who that was from or is that a secret um that's not a secret uh we don't i don't, I don't have the name right now but it was kind of a funny story because i was in the netherlands talking on like a startup festival and presenting terra zero and then there was this guy who basically this angel investor who wanted to invest in terra zero and i was like Sorry, dude. We are artists. Like <laughs> we we can't promise anything. And then he was um, at one point. He was just like, "Yeah, can I just SIPA transfer you like some money?" And wow. then he <laughs> sent us. Yeah, sh sh shout new. out to this guy who yeah, he, he, funded uh, essentially flower tokens. Yeah, we we asked him to if he wanted to be mentioned, but he never responded to our mail. So <laughs> anyhow, we we spent like literally like three thousand years to build like the structure to you know like to to. Um, to to rent like equipment for camera and computer and stuff for like the time um, this project was running, and then we so we thought like okay there's like a hundred flowers we had like three thousand euros like expenditures so naturally one token is like thirty euros and like the <laughs> <laughs> equal you know like there was like a very much different aspect to it because. Um, right now doing an NFT project of course comes always with like this. At least, like this elephant in the room, that this might be actually like very um, valuable, valuable, yeah. and and also like with Premier Demon. I mean, like we we ask people to donate some money to this, but we never thought about like issuing a receipt for basically for doing this transaction. Right. And nowadays, like these, as we saw with flower tokens, as like there is some inherent value in doing something very early in the crypto space. These we thought about like if we would have issued like pay receipts donation receipts, they would have been demon. probably quite valuable collectibles. Right. But like this was not even like in the realm of like 
um, our our thoughts or discussions. And that like actually that. happened with with uh, with uh, with flower tokens, right? Like that, like later, much later mm. in 2021, uh, this very experimental project set up in this kind of makeshift uh, environment that you guys designed yourself. Mm. Uh, transitioned uh, back into Ethereum in a, in a way that it could be collected in the kind of uh, standard networks of the time, right? And then actually acquired quite some speculative value. Can you talk about that moment also? This actually happened before. So it was first kind of randomly found by so-called NFT ecologists, <laughs> which is like a very much debatable can, like, can we Can we can we define that too? Because I think that's actually a really interesting phenomenon that has kind of been and gone also. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. So an NFT archaeologist, yeah. right, was a self-defined speculative collector specifically mm. going in and looking for old projects that had kind of, uh, I guess, novel value and kind of earliness mm. value uh, that could then be speculated upon in the kind of post-2021 boom NFT market, right? Yeah, the interesting thing is like that these timeframes are so much squeezed together that like <laughs> these, his, there was also like this, I think there is like this term of like historic NFTs nowadays, right. and these are like two to three year or four years <laughs> old <laughs> project, <laughs> which I, in my in my personal portfolio, always count as like nascent and new pro new work. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> and also in terms of an art timeline, yeah. it's very recent, right? Yeah. Like contemporary art is 50 years, at least old, yeah. maybe 70, maybe 100. But I mean, I think, I mean, like there is something um, true to it that they are a lot of early projects which haven't had like the the spotlight they may have deserved. Yeah. Um, but then there's also it's also like um, a symbol of like this um, overhyped space in like 2021 where um, where you can use I don't know like traction on social media as like a form of value production and then right. like highlighting old projects and then flipping them. So this actually happened before that. So some somebody literally found these project. Um, our market side didn't work. Yeah, the, the market side at this point didn't, didn't work anymore. And this so is 2019, 2020? This was 2021. 2021. So post-boom. Yeah. So was it 2020? Oh, Maybe it was twenty twenty. Gotta edit this out. That's embarrassing. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was definitely before we wrote the wrapper contract. So like, um, somebody found this and thought, oh, there's like um, the possibility in this of raising value, price. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and essentially, the contract was like verified on Etherscan, so you could like basically you could interact with the contract without having like a website on hmm. or right. having like an interface. Like a loot project or whatever yeah, that you yeah. mint off the off the contract Wait, directly. Yeah. yeah. So so and also the whole market was essentially like um, kind of uh, could be interacted with. Uh -huh. So people had like still from the project their old like flower tokens on like on sale, right? Because uh, they were right. like, ah, they didn't. So basically someone like a lot of people or like not a lot, but some people over I think a course of like four days or something essentially bought all the cheap flower tokens off but, of people just like from the contract. But but actually not only the the, the cheap ones. There were also like some some friends of us. Yeah, um, I mean, which we, I mean, cheap, is yeah. like, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah like, which we paid, uh, <laughs> paid on, <laughs> quote unquote, paid with like giving a back then useless or like worthless uh, flower tokens. Um, um, suddenly, I don't know, woke up and checked their MetaMask and were like, "Where's this? Where's this money coming from?" Because like <laughs> they they set up like a random ETH number back in like the marketplace as a joke, basically. Yeah, as yeah, a joke. Basically. And I'm gonna sell this for one 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 ETH. Yeah, if yeah, it, yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah. And then 
So, so I think like this was like the first like retroactive uh, public goods funding in a sense. <laughs> so, <laughs> so all of our, uh, I do think there's a working group at Trust which was just like financed by essentially like their flower token sales. Yeah, right. So that sort of worked in a way and was like nice because we never we didn't have at the time that much money to pay like the people properly right so um, yeah I think yeah. some people earned like at least some money with it which yeah. is I mean just just again for definition's sake trust um, is worth mentioning by name because oh, I yeah. think it's it's the site it's the site where this project um, was and it mm -hmm. also is the kind of I guess community site in a way also where the project behaved it's a it's a space uh, it's actually a physical space in uh, Schöneberg, in Berlin, right, uh, that is founded by a couple of people that we all know. Maybe you guys can just say a couple things about Trust and, and the site in which it, uh, which which this benefited and also kind of grew from and within. Yeah, um, I think uh, Trust is sort of, I think the official definition is a utopian conspiracy, I think, <laughs> probably. Um, and the, it's kind of a co-working space, but also community space where um, a lot of people around sort of design, art, um, Web3, um, critical theory uh, sort of interact with each other, do like reading groups. Um, there are a lot of events um, and this space is running now. I think since 2016, but I'm not 100% sure. Founded by Callum. And it's founded by and Callum and uh, Arthur. Arthur. Mm, full names. <laughs> Arthur Bear and Arthur Cal Bear and, and Callum Bolden or yeah. something? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Callum. <laughs> if you're hearing this, sorry. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, it, it was so interesting uh, that I thought that, that that whole archaeology thing happened. So then it was discovered, there was it was already buzz, and then you guys did this retroactive thing where mm. you took the old tokens and wrapped them, right, uh, in, in a new token standard. Is that right? Or how did you redeploy that? Yes, um, we essentially... So the, the first tokens... Okay, this is like a really technical discussion now. <laughs> sure. the, the first tokens, they were essentially year 7, 721s, but they didn't have like the metadata extension. Huh. So like essentially, like if you go back to the pure definition of the ERC-721, it doesn't have like metadata attached. So you can deploy like a contract which has like, um, which has like a specific like identity and has like some metadata attached, but you don't have like a function where you can retrieve it. Got it. Which then makes it really hard for like other people to obviously get the metadata, which right. is kind of, which we on marketplaces on marketplaces, right? Yeah, so, so it actually becomes harder to distinguish between each object yeah. and what comes with each particular yeah. object, etc., yeah. etc. Yeah. Yeah. Spe specifically, so like also like on OpenSea, they were like not listed as ERC seven twenty one because OpenSea, in fact, needs uh, a particular needs type, a type of, of metadata, right. like uh, to even see the object, to even like uh, kind of yeah, in, in index them, right. Um, so what we did then were that we went through the archive um, and made like short videos essentially which were showing like every frame which was recorded for every token and then like, put it them in almost like a like a, a what is it like a slow mo not slow motion but a stop motion it mm. kind of looks a little bit like a stop motion video essentially mm -hmm. where you have like every data point so every um, kind of image of every flower is uh, put in this uh, like video and um, these tokens can only be acquired if you essentially lock the other like the original tokens in them right. so this is kind of like a wrapper contract which gives you like a, almost like archive of all the data yeah. which um, yeah can be then also traded on like things like OpenSea 
Um, so you sort of consolidated the artwork into a into a new yes. package, right? Yeah. That then that then contained also the old package and also cancelled out the possibility of buying the old package. And then these things really behaved as quite valuable speculative mm. assets that were bought and sold uh, by certain archive collectors of NFTs, right? Yeah. Um, yes. But also, would suffer from like specific, like the these typical small small scale collections. So like, there's literally no liquidity. I mean, like, that's a problem, right? With like these. Yeah, I um, mean, that's a general sort of like question. Always like, what size does a collection mm. need to have to to have like liquidity, and at what point? Mm. Uh, just, yeah. I think there was even like a a, a DAO, like a, a flower DAO form, which was like uh, a group of people who joined together to acquire as many flower tokens as possible <laughs> for some time, and they were quite successful. I think they're like I think now they the biggest flower whale. Yeah, I think they have two or three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the only project you kind of updated as well, because you sort of revisited Premna Demon uh, in a very different moment in a very different setting than it mm. was first um, uh, exhibited in uh, many many miles away from Shinko Pavilion at um, Art Dubai, right? And uh, uh, it would be really interesting to go into Seed Capital, which sort of I see as an evolution of the Premna Demon model. Um, and Seed Capital was uh, produced, I think, in dialogue with a very interesting collection DAO, actually, uh, a Fingerprints DAO. Um, and uh, I think it was kind of curated a, a, a sort of the first booth that I know that a collecting DAO uh, took at an art fair at Art Dubai, right, in 2022. Yeah, yeah. So last year, yeah. it seems it's so ridiculous. We, the crypto thing where you talk about last year with its numerical. But anyway, in last year, 2022, you guys went um, almost a year ago now to uh, an art fair and you presented this in a very, very different context. Also under very different market conditions. Also with a very, very different aim and outcome, mm. right? Like you were in some ways, I guess, uh, trying to bring – uh, you know, crypto art proper into a place where it would be legible to not only people who were maybe not adjacent to crypto, but also maybe not adjacent to the art worlds that this was spawned in as, a, as an experiment. Can you talk a little bit about that, like the whole process mm -hmm. of making that show, of working with fingerprints, of, uh, of, of coming up with that solution to a very different physical environment? Yeah. So uh, fingerprints is maybe just for yeah. um, just for clarifying this. Yeah. They are sort of like a collector DAO, but they do also some sort of like art production. I think. Um, so they're almost like a gallery as well, right? Like sort of. Yeah. I think they're like yeah. in this like space between almost like a gallery, sort of a collector, and sort of like a production studio. Mm. Um, they are mostly interested in um, smart contracts as the art piece itself. So they're which they like, define rather loosely. Yes, right? which they define. Because yeah, <laughs> I think there's some other taste mechanisms also in, involved in selecting the works that qualify for being yes. uh, fingerprints down, right? Yes, I think they have also a strong focus on generative art, I would say, right. uh, to a certain degree. Um, and they were asking us um, to come to Art Dubai because they had the chance to um, present there in like a art, as you said, in like an art sphere booth um, for the first time as a DAO, and that was something I think really novel, which didn't happen before in this kind of in this space, but also at this like size and in this dimensions. Um, so we were um, we wanted to do something there, which sort of always uh, reflected on. The, uh, the other works before, like like Premna Demon and Flower Tokens, um, and we wanted also to show this like or to bring some like physicality in the space because this was like also at the Art Dubai in the digital section where you have a lot of screens, you have a lot of like it's it's really like um, kind of 
new media art and like it like lacks sometimes or for us it kind of like lacks a little bit of materiality or lacked mm. a little bit of materiality mm. so this was something this was why we kind of looked back at our like um sort of previous works which were going more into like sculptural and um like physical artifacts and maybe you can talk yeah. a little bit about the physicality or about the I mean like essentially it is quite similar to Primordemon in uh in a way that uh, the main subject of it is is a plant again and the well-being is of like the the plant and like how it is cared for is mediated through like um in a smart contract infrastructure But whereas Premier Demon was uh, relying on like a contractual agreement with like a gallery, which actually like at one point <laughs> in the in the in the short life of of the bonsai tree actually <laughs> uh, caused the, the bonsai tree to die, we were interested in creating a system where we create like a financial incentivize to care in the right way for this plant, and so it exists out of like. Um, It's a couple of couple of different objects. It's like a, a seating structure where you can sit around this plant, which sits prominently on the desk. Then there's like um, an electronic like sensor stack which measures temperature and humidity and water levels of like the soil and um, process this data. And then there's a live stream which uh, streams this the whole setup on like a website or mirrors it on the website because we also knew that like the Art Dubai is of course like a very, it's like a very specific group of people you can address and we wanted to have this experiment happen in like a, in a broader context. Yeah. And then um, people were able to mint specific certificates, uh, so-called certificates of care for The taking care of this tree for uh, of this plant for every specific um, time span mm -hmm. um, the show was up and this was only possible when all the sensor readings and all the the readings of the sensors said that it's like the perfect currently the perfect uh, condition for the plant mm. and so in order to actually acquire this token which is also like some of some sort of like speculative speculative value you had if you would be on on site you would have to actively make sure that everything is correct and fine and if not people wouldn't able to to mint these tokens interesting this was also one of the probably most annoying minting mechanisms <laughs> yes. um, because um, we were interested in like representing every as like every time span of the whole exhibition in one token. So right. every 15 minutes, you could mint one token of these 15 minutes. And if you are not able to mint because like somebody else is like in the queue before you, you would have to wait for another 15 minutes. But then it would shuffle again. So you probably would have been like kicked out again. And then, of course, you have these things that... Um, there's like these accumulations of people interested in these type of projects um, which creates like these these vast times where all the people are asleep and nobody mints a token and then like everybody wants to mint a token when they like have their time after work and it was kind of really 
a weird mechanism and like a quite a torture we put like all the people following this I remember project. being somebody who very much wanted this token <laughs> yeah. having having uh, participated in the first Premier Demon kind of uh, prototype for this sort of mechanism then having missed out on my flower token and seen the speculative uh, success of the um, of the kind of wrapped flower token market I was then very anticipating to have one of these tokens and I remember setting alarms to wake up at a particular time that I thought nobody would be interested to mint this particular token so that I could therefore mint the particular and it was a it was annoying but it was also really interesting in another way that you guys I guess have poetically um, for me as again as an artwork like um, inscribed some of those systems that uh, that I think um, are there to kind of uh, highlight some of the things that we're under anyway. We're always put under these arbitrary systems by various bureaucracies or various market systems where we have to behave in particular ways to get rewarded in particular ways with particular types of assets. And I think for me, also as an art experience, while I was cursing the fact of getting the software, I was also like, oh, this is a really interesting uh, you know, a proposition uh, into, into what this type of thing can be. And a really interesting... Uh, response to the kind of perceived lack of speculative outcomes of the initial Premna Demon, right? So th in this case, you have these artifacts that say you had this kind of like uh, contribution to the system, right? And they then become this this receipt that can be speculated yeah. on. Right? But there's even even more. Sorry, but there's even more to it because um, there will be in total like four exhibitions. One was Art Dubai, and we're still working on like the the next uh, the next one. Um, and <laughs> there's you know because we we kind of like want to make sure that. It's like a right, the right space. But right. in these token, there's also inscribed like who curated um, the show. This, these these tokens were minted from basically, mm. and what kind of institution this is. Because we thought it could also be interesting retrospectively look at them at all these four sets and see how maybe like the prices of these tokens differ from like from exhibition to exhibition and prestige to of like one curator to another right and which so i don't want to own the art dubai one because art dubai is a suspect institution i rather want to own the lacma uh, yeah. version of it yeah. yeah yeah maybe and this is something which happens in like the art, traditional artwork right. every time but like it's not really not yet really present in like the nft space mm. so and also one thing we sort of like learned from like previous experiments was that uh, maybe it makes sense to um, also include like the metadata or kind of like let the metadata be generated by the contract. So this thing is essentially completely on chain. Right. So it means like the, the, the Pi essentially signs the data package and like puts some values from this data package on chain. Uh, and then like the whole like visual you see is like generated by the contract so it's like an svg which is like generated right. by the contract which kind of no one can like change it anymore like right there is no server which can go down and stuff like this which is very different for those of you who are, who are like listening who, who are not super familiar with the nft space it's very different than for example a video file connected to a blockchain link, which is what Flower mm -hmm. Token essentially ended yes. up with technically, yeah. right? So this is more including more information on the actual network itself as the artwork, right? So it has a kind of more, let's say, medium-specific quality to it, right? Yeah, it's also like a certain like generative uh, aesthetic in a yeah. sense because it kind of like this token has like a X and Y axis and it kind of like generates uh, sort of like an image gradient, like a, like a, a color gradient. And there was a series of, dare I say it, paintings associated with this group <laughs> as well that were shown at the art fair which well, I thought was an interesting outcome yeah I mean like this is also it this came back to our us trying to 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 differ a little bit from all the other booths uh, because 
I mean, like, no, no shade towards screens, but like, I think like <laughs> there's like I hate screens. No, yeah, those, they and fucking like, suck. No, and like in a, in a in a room full of screens, you get bored and they kind of like blend mm. into each They're other. Very and I think, yeah. yeah. And um, so we had this, this. We did like a series of test run of like this whole technological stack, which resulted in the, basically the first fourteen test tokens. Mm. Um, which is like a, a sub-series. And then we had um, this sitting structure which existed out of um, uh, six seats and one table. And we used these uh, generated graphs and um, uh, gradients to have printed on like the seats and the table as like to visualize what's going on on the NFTs and on like, a, like as like physical objects. And then we... Um, use the other sevens to create another set of six plus one um, and reuse them as wall objects, which thought we thought was kind of interesting mm. to have like this public sculpture, which you can also, which kind of wears off, you know, people sitting on it, mm. people then like have like this weird moment, can I sit on it, should mm -hmm. I sit on it? And then um, you have the same, literally the same object like on, on the wall and suddenly being like, suddenly they perform being an artwork, you know, like right. in a much different way. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> Maybe from this um, really granular um, exploration of a couple of uh, already realized projects, I'd like to zoom a little bit back out again um, for a couple of maybe last touching points for the conversation. And the first is really like a macro question that I want to ask about the position that you take. Like I think during this conversation, we've touched on a couple of times, again, from my perspective, the way the work behaves is it's sort of a, it's a provocation of sorts, right? You, you, you sort of take a system that you're curious about that hasn't been tested so much in various different environments, be it the art world or vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, going back to the original proposition of the forest, you know, how... Uh, these economic structures can then include more than just addresses. Um, but you then perform something in this environment, right? And I, I guess as, a, as an artist who also, I guess, tries to lean into emphasizing certain phenomena that I see existing in the world already, and, and that being my primary, uh, I guess, art gesture in a way, I just wondered how you guys feel about um, the role you've set up with um, Terra Zero and the kind of rhetorical actor it becomes in the art world, right? It, it's a it's a particular type of artist, uh, a, a Terra Zero. And I know both of you individually, and maybe this is worth reflecting on this also, have had different moments with identifying with the project and not identifying with the project, right? Feeling very comfortable uh, in the role of, uh, of being a part of Terra Zero and its leadership, and then maybe feeling more alienated towards it and also maybe the blockchain field in general. Um, because I think... Art that interacts with crypto and the crypto context and blockchains in general has a lot of vulnerabilities associated with it. You know, um, it's it's a hyper capitalized space. There's a lot of money uh, talks about it, and also energy, enthusiasm, and 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 real value kind of attribution goes up and down in crazy ways. Right? There's certain moments where. It, it couldn't be a more popular thing or a more interesting thing for people that you're kind of interacting with these and, and kind of feeling out some of these spaces. But at other times, it's a very stigmatizing thing, right? When when people see speculative actors behaving badly, um, when people see that the damages from the kind of casino-like environment around crypto are coming home to roost with certain people's um, livelihoods, etc., uh, you know, an actor of an artist coming in and, and nudging around in the space can be seen as, as a more ethically questionable, 
uh, realm, right? So I just wanted to give you some space to reflect on your own personal journeys in both acting in the crypto art world and occupying Terra Zero as this sort of provocateur, let's say, uh, if that's fair. Um, I think, I mean, it's hard to answer all of this, but I think yeah. with, um, <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> um, with Zero, it's like especially difficult sometimes, or it was especially difficult because people, or sometimes people have like a hard time to understand uh, that there's a difference in like highlighting something mm-hmm. uh, and take this as like our our proposed solution basically to all these problems. And especially with like, I mean, we play a lot with like this hyper-financialization of like a specific aspect of the world. And then people say like, oh, this is your answer to to save the world. To and nature, right. It's, uh, yeah. Your answer to nature is hyper-financializing yeah. trees. Fuck you. Yeah, like, and, yeah. It, and it's definitely not. It's more like that we say, okay, this already happens. This happens in like a much obscure way and we are highlighting it. And like we, yeah, we... Um, we are we are uncovering structures which we already find like some out out there. I, I mean, maybe uh, to to this sort of notion, I, I said on a different talk. Like sometimes artists are like almost like trash uh, crash test dummies <laughs> in a sense that they're like we are sitting in some sort of thing and then like it just goes somewhere and like you have to see like how it like behaves mm. and under certain conditions. And I, I do think even this is like on a certain level like cynical. Uh, it's still like shows that like art in certain cases can actually sort of um, prevent other things. So like right. when you look at like how Terra Zero was in 2016, like they are now literally startups who like doing this. Mm. So like th- this was like almost like we're a, better funded than us. Yeah, we're better funded <laughs> than us. But like I, I do think that the, like testing out these things and sometimes also um, kind of crashing these things has like a great or is or can be like a field in which art can really like bloom or really strive in a sense, mm. I would say. But then also like speaking maybe to the other part of your question, I think, I mean, like both of us have very different individual practice. And I think there was a time where we, um, where we, when we first started Terra Zero, where this wasn't the case, we both worked full time on it. And I remember this also as a very stressful time because this then, you know, like if you have like a collective, it's, great but then if you only have this collective this collective needs to serve basically all your all needs, needs. For everybody yeah. and this a doesn't make sense conceptually because maybe there are other stuff interesting stuff which you want to um, experiment with which doesn't really fit in but it also creates like this this tension where like a couple of people have like this one thing which has to serve all the purposes and for me definitely there was like it was, or like for for both of us it was kind of like um, it it worked as like a how is it called a valve, uh, you know, mm. like to to being able to switch in and out and distribute like your attention and energy um, on Terrazio, but then also off Terrazio to like side projects or like your individual practice. And I feel like now we kind of this is the way how we kind of like structured a way of working together, um, mm. which which can survive like these ups and downs also like brought by I don't know like market dynamics and right. general general social discussions around this topic. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe the other kind of macro that I wanted to poke at as well as you know I know because we've had discussions at other moments that you're also in the process of maybe revising 
the initial uh, white paper also in view to maybe trying to go for that initial uh, outcome that was proposed in the first white paper again more concretely? Are there things that you want to talk about in that process? Can you even talk about this right now? Or is it something uh, th that you'd rather leave uh, in the laboratory, so to speak? Uh, no, I think we can actually talk about this. Um, yeah, um, as we described earlier, we've like our, our journey working on Terra Zero was like a journey on trying to find institutions or partners who are willing to develop this on like a one-to-one a -one scale, meaning having an actual sizable plot of land, testing out the implementing these technological system and developing them and um, seeing also on a longer time frame how it works, how it how it's also perceived. And since um, now over a year a little bit, um, we've been in contact with uh, Light Art Space, a, a Berlin based, relatively new art institution who is very interested in this project and has been very supportive and wants to go on this journey on realizing Terrazio as some sort of new type of land art project. They very soon, when we started working with them, we realized that we can't just like realize the white paper, which we started writing in 2015, because a, the technology and like the technological environment changed, but also... I mean, like between this, there's like, I don't know, like six years of us constantly working on this, but also, of course, having like now a different views than we had yeah. back then. But, sure. but yeah. also, you know, like if you have like a realistic outlook or a prospect to realize something, suddenly your decisions have also much different weight than like writing it as like a purely conceptual white paper. Of course. And um, so um, they now commissioned us over the last months to do a lot of research, but essentially uh, rewrite the the whole white paper, which we did, or like now finalize it and like circulate it in like um, in within our like peer group, but then like we'll also distribute it more publicly, and um, yeah, and then try to to realize this on like a hopefully proper piece of forest somewhere around Berlin or at least in Germany. Yeah, I mean, when we were looking at the white paper. It was also interesting for us to go back to this and see what sort of assumptions are in this first paper. Right. How are um, like te how is technology treated? How are decision making processes treated? And we realized that this is coming, or a lot of these things were coming from, uh, I think, general believing in, for example, artificial intelligence, but also um, automated process as like sort of automated processes as intelligent processes in a sense, mm -hmm. which for us didn't like really came through in a sense. So this is something which we revisited after the years. And even with all these like AI high things, right. like for, for us, it seemed to be like these decision processes and these management systems we described are like still sort of fictional and they right. might also still be fictional for like a long time. Mm. So we kind of shifted a little bit the focus there towards something more um, kind of, or if you think of like sort of the cybernetics of like a firm or like a corporation, it's also like Charles Stross said this thing where he was like, okay, um, basically um, uh a corporation is also like a slow AI. Mm -hmm. And I think this is kind of for us a good starting point to, to think about these, right, uh, rather in like organizational structures than uh, in sort of like pure automated processes. Right. And I think this is more the, the direction, I yeah. think, 
Wait. which which we are taking now and which we're interested in and doing research in. Yeah, especially in terms of like the time frame we intend this project to run. I mean, it gets really it's kind of it's kind of absurd to propose something and claim that this will run for like a couple of decades or even like centuries and then use like a technology which is I don't know, like yeah. very very nascent and the term ecologist is used for like a three year time span <laughs> so, <laughs> so um yeah i think this what were like maybe what when our like first white paper was like the cyber sin and you know like yeah um uh, uh utopian idea then like the the new one is more using communities and creating as technology creating social structures as like safety nets basically mm. um, super compelling i mean i just can't wait to see that journey go a little bit further i also know that there is already a public sculpture outcome of this that just happened in the last few months also, right? Uh, can you talk about Terra Zero's involvement in the Carnegie International and the the public sculpture tree that exists and what, where that fits into both this new emergent forest version and where it connects to some of the past uh, smaller iterations? Uh. Yes, sure. <laughs> um, this essentially started, I think, with the Proof of Work exhibition. Right. Um, so it started like quite a long time ago uh, in 2019. Yeah, 18. 18. Was proof of work was 2018. Yeah, yeah. Pavilion. Yeah. Wow. Um, uh. So it started uh, there um, with um, some curator from Carnegie, Sorab, right? So Sorab Mohibi, right? Yeah, yeah. Sorab Mohibi, uh, asking us if we wanted to make some pipe or have some idea for like a sort of public sculpture. And this took some sort of like turns over the years. Uh, first, we wanted to do it in New York, but then uh, he moved to uh, Pittsburgh and was working for um, the Carnegie... Uh, the Carnegie, Carnegie International, International and the Car yes. Carnegie Museum, yes, right? The mm -hmm. Carnegie International, yeah. yeah. And we were then specifically interested in thinking of what is the smallest sort of public sculpture you could build and like also the, almost like the smallest use case for something um, which has like a legal identity, which is like not not human, um, and how could this like smallest use case be implemented or be built as a public sculpture? Mm. And we didn't have a lot of focus on the blockchain part this time, but more on a legal um, definition of what property is, uh, what kind of organizational structure you could put on top of this, and also how the property or the tree could become essentially um, something which has like a certain legal standing. So that'd be either through some sort of like personhood or through some sort of like organizational body, which is sort of around these, these type of things. Um, and we started to look into various legal bodies, various um, sort of legal constellations. Uh, we had also like we this project is probably the most like law intensive project we right. ever did. So we are sometimes in. I mean, the project is still going on, and we are sometimes in like meetings where there are probably more lawyers than like art people in. <laughs> <laughs> most of our meetings nowadays. <laughs> so, so the the How whole glamorous huh? <laughs> as an artist. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Double-sided sword, yeah. Um, but, yeah, yeah. but yeah. So the basic um, idea is to have like um, a tree, which is a public sculpture, which sits in the in the city of Pittsburgh, and that this tree 
become or gain some sort of self-ownership throughout the development of this project. And this is a very USA-specific approach. So we worked with lawyers together, again, focusing on like an interesting legal gray area where it might not be really possible, but maybe we can just like make it possible and then see what happens as again as like a proposition mm -hmm. to think something through and for this project we uh, created a legal body a 501c4 which is a tax exempt which is basically used to lock um, capital to a political aim to a lobbying cause right and this in our in our case this capital is actually like the tree and a plot of land and the lobbying cause is granting this specific tree in front of like a municipal court personhood huh. and once this happens the the lobby is actually also like an instantiated real uh, 501c4 called Pittsburgh lobby for tree personhood very catchy name um, a lot of mean potential there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we have like great graphics sitting on our great merch. Uh, also, the... I own a T-shirt and a hat. I think. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, once this actually happens, and this is something which can succeed, but also can fail. And once this happens, this five hundred one C four gets transformed in a traditional LLC, where the tree um, is the own owner of the LLC, sits on the board. Um, pays their taxes and is kind of like protected by the state uh, or like by it being like recognized as a company. Mm. And the interesting part about this basically is that this is like a commissioned work by the Carnegie Museum of Art. However, the museum structure doesn't allow for any expenses for something which is not in their position. Mm. But of course, like the tree can't, or like the plot of land can't be in their possession because like conceptually, yeah. And, the tree it. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we had like this. We we actually used then like a this, a smart contract which issues um, some sort of like certificates that the uh, Carnegie Museum paid what they have to pay yearly for the tree. Um, in in exchange for their expenses but this was actually something a structure we solely created to adapt to like the existing museum structure which is very much about owning something collecting something storing right. something in an archive yeah and so this was yeah i mean it rhymes with some other crypto solutions to similar i mean not maybe not even similar problems but you know one of the crazy things about the 2017 boom in crypto was this whole situation where you could both sell equity in a company and suddenly this whole group of tokens that you invented, right? And so so the idea of sort of inventing new asset classes that kind of fill in a particular type of ownership role between existing positions is, is something quite, I would say, like native to the mm. to the crypto environment. So that's super interesting that that was one came out of that, actually. So even though it's the, the most offline, probably, version of, of this, it's, it, it also uh, a some behaviors um, that, that one can find in other parts of the crypto ecosystem. Right? But it's also a comment on that, like, whatever we are proposing, this always, this always originated in a very specific context. Mm. The same way that we um, kind of say that we would, would never, like, like, realize Terra Zero as, like, a land art project. I don't know, like in a different country than Germany, because this is about like ownership of land. And I think this is like, you know, like very loaded as very, a concept. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, like this project is very much 
originated or like it's like premiering and it is for like the US American um, space. And so it also conceptually includes like a law which you would probably only find in, in the US. In the US so. yeah. And it touches again, I guess, to, to reflect on this, uh, this question that was asked before, like the role of the artwork in this case is to act within a system that is already full of problems, mm -hmm. histories, uh, you know, ethical questions that are in some ways always should be asked and discussed but are sort of never satisfactorily answered, right, about ownership, about who gets what land, et cetera, et cetera. This is, it sort of plays in that um, already existing playground of problems, right? And in this way, probably like the Carnegie International with happening in the Carnegie Museum of Art is probably like the, the best the best institution for that too. Yeah, it's got an, a long history of, of yeah. complications, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Guys, I don't want to keep you too long, but I, what I will do is maybe once more return to our seed oh. phrase and, and maybe ask you guys to, to read your seed phrase, uh, if you will. Uh, maybe you can both do it at the same time because I think that will sound really cool. Uh, do you mind as a, as a sort of an outro reading your 12-word seed phrase? Well, let's try. Okay. Commons, personal, abundance, ownership, ownership capital, capital, forest, tools, resilience. Fuck. <laughs> Wasn't this resilience? Resilience, yeah. I, I fucked it up. I couldn't read. Okay. Again. One, two, three. Resilient. <laughs> I thought we're going like now. I thought we said resilience. No, let's start with uh, resilience. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> is, is this like is this a consens algorithm? It might be. Yeah. yeah. Resilience. <laughs> no, no, that doesn't work. Okay. I say non-human, and then non-human. Economia. Immutability. Gross. Okay. <laughs> that was fantastic. Is there anything else you guys want to expand on, add, or otherwise before we we close this conversation? No, maybe just a general thank you for all the Terra Zero supporters and everyone who likes the project, keeps talking about the project, mm. has tokens, uh, has merch. <laughs> has a cap, one has of a, these. Has a cap, <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot of people in, in our art world that celebrate the project a lot, so there's many, many players. And is there any way that people who are coming to um, Terra Zero for the first time can reach out, or where's the best place to start researching you guys? Is there a website interface which is the best place to start? Is it Twitter? Is it a... I mean, like, we're, like, <laughs> very bad at every type of digital social communication. We have a horribly outdated website, which you can still use to contact us via mail. We have a Twitter account, which we barely touch but should <laughs> use more yeah as i said we're we're working on new big projects and we will also build up some better more sound communication tools but yeah i think like the the boring mail reach out is probably the yeah, safest probably, way probably, to get to probably us probably mail and twitter yeah. i think that's the two and the website is terrazero.com dot org dot org <laughs> of course yeah Fabulous. Okay, well, thank you very much, Paul and Paul, for coming on this conversation with Seed Phrase. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. That's it for this episode of Seed Phrase. Thanks so much to Paul and Paul for their reflections on the new economic artistic territory experimentation that guides Terra Zero. To me, their project highlights a special potential within art that can open up poetic space across disparate forms and disciplines. They reframe life forms and subjecthood in productively playful landscapes of possibility. Seed Phrase is supported and produced by the New Institute in Hamburg, was recorded at Studio Yacht in Berlin, and is edited by FX1 in Hamburg. 
The music featured in this podcast is by Amnesia Scanner from their Web3 project, Scammer, which was released as a series of NFTs. Thanks again for listening.